All right. Again, good morning. So good to see you all. And we, of course, get to dive back into our series in the book of Exodus this morning. Last week, we had one of our very own, Aaron, bring us a word from Exodus chapter 17, the latter half of that, that chapter, and so we're picking up immediately afterwards. And the title of my sermon today, I don't always tell you this, but I think we're going to frame the sermon in, in various themes, and they'll all tie up neatly there at the end. So the title of my sermon today is, The Lord is Greater, and we'll see very easily where, where that comes from. So last week, we saw that uh, as Israel was continuing their journey in the wilderness, the, uh, a man named Amalek, the father of the Amalekites, he came and he fought with Israel at Rephidim. Amalek is a descendant of Esau, and so he's also a descendant of Abraham. And we need to keep that in mind. So Amalek comes and he meets Israel at Rephidim in order to fight them. Moses then charges Joshua to take men out to fight the Amalekites. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur, they go up on a hill above the battlefield. And on this hill, Moses lifts his hands. And as his hands are lifted high... Israel prevails, but when his hands begin to droop, Amalek prevails. And so Aaron and Hur first position him against a stone to rest himself so that he can hold up his body and therefore hold up his hands. And it's proving to be insufficient. So then they come and they each hold up his hand. And the Israelites prevail over and against the Amalekites. And the Lord curses the Amalekites afterwards, saying that... Uh, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And so we see then that Israel was successful in their battle because each person understood their role in the greater cause. Collectively, they defeated their enemy. Collectively, they fought in faith underneath the banner of the Lord their God. And so it was there that Moses builds an altar and says, the Lord is my banner. In Hebrew, it, it would be Yahweh Nisi. And so, again, from last week, we saw that the momentum of Israel is growing. They are becoming successful as even though they've had challenges of, dis, of unbelief and grumbling, there's momentum for Israel. They're, they're growing in success as the people of God under the lordship of Yahweh. Their success as a nation is all under the public lordship of Yahweh, their God. Remember, their, their success, their fighting in faith was underneath the banner of God. This we have to remember as we enter into today's text. And so, if you would, join me in chapter 18, starting in verse 1, as we read God's word. Jethro, the priest of Midian... Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, 
Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians, excuse me, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, Moses' father-in-law, before God. Let us, let us pray for our time in the word of God. Lord, this is a gift from you for us that we might see you clearly and behold you in the fullness of your glory and grace. So I pray now that your spirit would move in our midst. We who belong to you, we know that we have been given the down payment of your spirit and we have been given him as a helper that we might see you for who you are. So please continue to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May you sanctify us according to the stature of Christ Jesus. And would we collectively be conformed to the image of our Lord, that we might bring honor to you and that we might herald your glory in all the earth. Would we see our small yet crucial role as the family of God before you and before the world. Please continue your work in us and through us. And it's in your name I pray and ask all these things. Amen. I'm particularly thirsty today. So. Okay, so. We've recapped last week. And so continue to keep those themes in mind. It'll all make sense as we conclude towards the end. And the picture will be that much more bright. So Jethro is a priest of Midian. We've already been introduced to Jethro because when Moses flees Egypt after killing an Egyptian, he runs to the land of Midian and there he finds Zipporah and other women being uh, attacked by shepherds and he rescues them. And so Zipporah goes to her father and says, look what this man has done for us. We should, we should take care of him. And Jethro obliges. 
Eventually, he marries Zipporah, and Jethro is now his father-in-law. So we've, we're familiar with him. But we, we must remember he's a priest in Midian. And if you were to look on a map, um, sorry, I don't have one up, but if the Red Sea is like this, Egypt's here, Midian's here. Some speculate that Sinai, Mount Sinai, is in the land, or at least on the edge of Midian. And there's reason to believe that. But the text isn't completely clear. So as they're traveling in the wilderness towards Mount Sinai, we know they're at least becoming closer to Midian. But this is a separate land. And again, Jethro is a priest in the land of Midian. So he offers sacrifices to the gods of Midian. And yet my first point here to remember is that the nations have heard. The nations have heard. Jethro, a priest in a foreign land, has heard, has heard all that God has done for Moses and for Israel, his people. This is so clear. Just in verse 1, it says it quite plainly. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So the news of Israel's deliverance from Egypt had been spreading. The scriptures don't explain how the news got out, but it makes it clear that the news did get out because it was supposed to. Let's take a look back at the Song of Moses which is in chapter 15, starting in verse 13. The song reads, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham, just like the Amalekites. And we saw what happened to the Amalekites. They came against the Lord's people because they heard. They heard. This is evident from the song. Amalek was a descendant of Esau. And from Esau come the Edomites. And so Amalek comes to fight because they heard. But the point I'm making is simply that the nations have heard the story of Israel's deliverance. We don't know how, but they did. And so we need to understand that the mighty works of God are for all to see. God does not save a people so that they can hide his glory in secret. No, God's mighty works are done so that all the world might recognize him as the one true God. This is the thrust of all of scripture. God shows covenant love and mercy to an undeserving people that his glory may be seen in all the earth. This is so clear. Even earlier in Exodus, the Lord tells regarding Pharaoh, 
For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Remember, the Lord was distinguishing Israel from Egypt. And so he was proving fully and finally to Pharaoh that there is none like me. You worship fake gods and you yourself think yourself to be a god but there is none like me in all the earth. It was part and parcel of God's design from the beginning. Again, in Psalm 57, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And again, we have this beautiful summation that Paul writes to the church at Rome. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Truly, it's all about him, is it not? This is good news for us, okay? Because it means that his covenant towards us is objective, rather than subjective. Hang on and you'll see what I mean. The Lord's merciful work of salvation and his just, his just punishment of the wicked is so that he will be exalted among the nations. Why is this good news for us? How do we know that God is not some divine megalomaniac? How? Doesn't this sound like it's a little bit too much like him. Where are we at in the picture? And while I would say in our f limited perspective it might be a legitimate question, it's not the right question, but I'll answer it anyway. How do we know that he's not some divine megalomaniac? Well, because God is just. God is righteous and he is good. And I don't simply mean he has these attributes, but rather that he is these attributes. Because in truth, God is the source of all justice. He is the source of all righteousness and the source of all goodness. Therefore, all glory is fairly due his name. There is no glory or no honor or nor praise in all of creation that God is not worthy of. He is worthy of it all. We cannot give him enough. Do you see that? He deserves it all. In fact, it's only right and proper that he see to it that he is magnified in all the cosmos because it is the most true, right, and good thing for him to do. He cannot deny himself because it would prove that he is not who he says he is. But because he is goodness, he is righteousness, he is justice, he must exalt his name in all of creation. 
And this is what I mean when I say that his covenant promises are objective rather than subjective because they're sourced in him rather than subjectively being sourced in us. Listen what Paul writes to Timothy. Many have twisted this scripture and yet it would be wise for us to see what, it really, what, what Paul's really getting at. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 11, he says, this, this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithful, excuse me, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Many have read that to say, to say well, if we're faithless, God's still going to do his part. Well, no, that's not really what Paul means by this. If we break the covenant, it means we're the ones who broke the covenant. God will uphold the covenant because it's bound to him. But if we deny him and prove ourselves to be covenant breakers, we're out. His covenant will be proved to someone else. This is the story of Israel in the wilderness. They proved to fall from the deceitfulness of sin and the hardness of heart. So they did not enter the land. They fell because of unbelief. So what, so what is he saying here when he says he remains faithful? God remains faithful to himself. And that's good news for us because the covenant is bound to him. And so, so long as we recognize that the mercy and the love and the joy of the covenant is for us, so long as we walk in faith, then we realize we'll never fall out because it's being fulfilled by him. The covenant is objective, not subjective. That's good news for us because God is so concerned in seeing his glory established in all the earth that he saves undeserving wicked sinners and invites them into the work of redemption. He will accomplish what he sets forth to do because he is faithful to himself. He cannot deny himself. And this is why, this is why God seeing to it that his fame is spread through all the earth is good news for us. We are mere recipients of grace because of it all. If it were bound to us, we would surely fumble. And many will taste and see that the Lord is good and yet still walk away. But that's because they broke covenant, not God. And so to help tie this particular point up that the nations have heard, Jethro, in hearing of all that God did for Moses and Israel, him hearing all the wonders that God performed in Egypt was no mistake. It was no mistake, but it was a purposeful part of the grand design of redeeming God's covenant people. When God redeems his people, it is for our good and his glory. It is for our good and his glory. God shows us covenant love in Christ as an extension of his desire to be magnified among the peoples. Therefore, we must not hide the good work of God or the light of the gospel underneath a basket. 
We don't take our light and hide it, but we put it before all men everywhere and say, this is the Lord my God. We must align our desires with that of God's, which is his glory and his dominion throughout all the earth. The Lord sees us and he understands us and he marvelously, marvelously weaves us into his grand story of redemption. It's all by grace. It's all by grace. It is to the praise, as Paul writes, to the praise of his glorious grace. And so I hope you sense this, that all that we're doing is not about us because it never was. But we have been recipients of grace because God has shown us steadfast covenant love and it's all part and parcel, part and parcel of his work of redemption to the glory of his grace and the praise of his name among all peoples everywhere. We are not our own, beloved, but we've been bought at a price. So we continue on in the text. And this, my next point here is the, it's called the first step of faith. The first step of faith. We see that Jethro had taken in Zipporah and Moses' two sons at some point before the Exodus. We know from Exodus 4 that Moses departed Midian with his wife and children. And we saw later in chapter 4 the whole circumcision episode that is difficult to understand. But we know at the least Moses was breaking covenant in that moment. And the Lord threatened him because he had forgotten the sign of the covenant given to his forefather Abraham. And so at the least we can understand that. But we see that whole episode take place. And so we know that Moses left Midian with them. But it, it seems that they never got back to Egypt with Moses. Uh, in fact, Jewish history the, posits that Aaron urged Moses to send them back to Midian before returning to Egypt. This is just Jewish history in the Midrash. We don't know um, for sure. But it's very plausible. Um, they posit, they, they assume this because they think it would have been inappropriate for them to return to Egypt and Moses say, well, it's too rough here for my family. Y'all go back when the rest of Israel is sitting there suffering, right? It wouldn't look very good. The optics would be bad. And so they really believe that Aaron said, Moses, brother, this is not their, their battle. Just, just send them back for a while. I think that's plausible. So here we have Jethro and his daughter, and his grandchildren safe, safe in his homeland among his kinsmen. Picture this. He is a man that's got duties and responsibilities of his own. He's safe in Midian. The Egyptians are not a threat to him in any way, shape, or form. They are far away from the calamity that's happened in Egypt. And yet, what does he do upon hearing the news of Israel's deliverance. He goes. He goes and he sees Moses to confirm the news. Let's not miss that. He heard the news just like Amalek did. But what does he do? He responds with the first step of faith. He goes to see, is this true? He believes it enough that he leaves his homeland 
in search of Moses in all of Israel, not knowing what he'll find. But he lays down his comfort and his conveniences to see if the news of God and his glory is true. Jethro serves as an instruction for us and to all who would draw near to God. He did not dismiss the news as a fairy tale, nor was he apathetic to what God had done. Again, he believed at least enough to pick up his things and go. He took action, and that was a response of faith. He's a pagan priest in a foreign land. It wouldn't have been hard to think to himself, well, no way did, is, did this really happen in Israel. They're a power in the ancient Near East. This can't be true news. Nor did he think, well, I'm glad to hear what happened to Moses in Israel, but the gods of my country are better. I'm content with the worship I offer now to the gods of Midian. No. He heard the news of the glory of God through the deliverance of Moses and Israel and his conscience was pricked. He did not let the birds of the enemy come and pick away the seeds of the good news. He did not let worry of tribulation or persecution stop him from getting to Moses, nor did he let the cares of the world prevent him from making the effort to see if all he heard was true. Jethro acted in faith upon hearing the good news of God's salvation. I think this is very important for us to hear that this is not the exception, but the rule. Jethro serves as a foreshadow of the global work of redemption that was first promised to Abraham and is going to be completed through us, the church. We don't really know how he heard the news, but we know that Israel sang about the news, that Israel was a singing people, and we saw in that psalm earlier the charge to sing among the nations, to make God's name be glorified and magnified through our voices among all the peoples. And now, on this side of all the covenants, we have the clear charge of Jesus. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In redeeming us, in bringing us into the fold, causing us to be true disciples, followers of Christ, the Lord promises to establish the work of our hands and the words of our mouths. He has promised us the victory, actually, because he is with us and all authority is his. Do you see that? He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the rightful heir to the throne. It's all his. And he says, now go, because I have the authority. The victory's ours. The victory's ours. 
It does not mean it will, won't be without persecution or hardship or trial. But in the cosmic work of redemption, the church wins. The church wins. Because Jesus wins, okay? We don't win in our own strength, but we win because Jesus is with us and it's his victory. So the question we must ask ourselves, and I think this is, every, every person in the room must ask ourselves this. Have we adopted some self-oriented, woe is me, martyr syndrome? Do we function as those who only dimly see what is immediately in front of us, like blind men? Or, or, do we clearly see that God is doing a cosmic work by establishing his kingdom forever. And as such, we have been charged to carry out the Lord's work in faith and obedience. What defines us is the question. What impulse drives us? Do I see every frustration, every hindrance, every difficulty as if God is somehow blind to my plot in life and I'm hanging on by a thread and I've forgotten what is actually happening in the grand scheme of God's church or do I accept the charge with the people of God to go and make disciples and to be a part of that redemptive work with each of our stations in life. It will look different for each and every one of us. Please don't misunderstand me. But the roles that we have as husbands, as wives, as children, as those who work in the community, as those who build in the home, they all are for this cosmic work of redemption. And all of it is the expression of our worship that Jesus is Lord and that he is saving a people unto himself so that his name will be exalted in all the earth. Jethro took that first step of faith. And we who now are in the faith ought not be shamed by a man like Jethro. If we've tasted and seen that God is good, may we continue marching faithfully in the triumph and victory of Christ. My last point here, the Lord of the nations. In verse 8, verse 8 says, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Upon hearing the news from Moses firsthand, Jethro rejoices over Israel and their deliverance. Not only that, but he blesses the Lord, the God of Israel, for delivering them out of the hand of the Egyptians and the hand of Pharaoh and from under the hand of the Egyptians. This is, this is huge. 
Jethro had some understanding of the God of Moses. Remember, Moses is his son-in-law. But he has been in Midian this whole time as a priest of Midian and the gods thereof. He has been a pagan. He has been a pagan. And this also paints a slightly clearer picture of perhaps why Zipporah and Moses had tension over the circumcision. Perhaps Moses didn't obey because his wife was against it because it was the sign of the covenant for Israel, not the Midians. That's speculation. But I think you see my point. Jethro was committed to his service as a priest of Midian. And now he hears this. He took that first step of faith to leave his home and to go and see if it were true. And in hearing the full story, he rejoices. He rejoices with Israel. And now look at verse 11. Well, I'll start in 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. It's easy to miss, but, but take notice. Jethro actually declares that he knows that the Lord is greater than all the gods because of how the Lord handled Egypt's mistreatment toward Israel. It wasn't just that he saw God's mercy on Israel, but he actually saw God's justice in judging the wicked. Yahweh would not be Lord if he did not deal justly with all the peoples of the earth. Wrath was due Egypt for their mistreatment of Israel. Their punishment was severe, but it was just. Jethro understood this, and it was because of this he could say, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. It's because he recognized truly God is just, and he is the most just over all the gods because he dealt rightly with Egypt. They had oppressed Israel. Israel was under their hand. Why? Because Egypt had dealt arrogantly with them. They assumed that they were gods over the peoples, Pharaoh himself being a god. And, Mos and Moses and Israel are delivered in mercy, but Egypt is crushed in justice. Jethro sees that. So we, we would do well also, we would do well also to hold high before all the world both God's mercy and his judgments. Sinners will not survive the just wrath of God unless their sin is atoned for. This is fundamental to the gospel message. The prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus, and all the apostles had the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. We cannot share a weak, lopsided gospel, church. We must proclaim the fullness of God's glory and salvation. It was in seeing the fullness of God's character that Jethro worshipped. And what does he do? 
What does he do in response to seeing clearly the Lord God of Israel? He brings a burnt offering and sacrifices to the God of Israel. And the elders of Israel join him in this celebratory covenant meal. Do you see how amazing this is? A pagan man leaves his homeland upon hearing the glory of the God of Israel and in having the work of redemption confirmed by Moses, he goes from worshiping the gods of Midian to worshiping the one true God because he sees both his mercy and his justice. The Lord truly will be exalted among the nations. See, Amalek heard the word of Israel's redemption and instead of humbling himself before the glory of God, he instead came to oppress Israel. Israel's right response, this is, this is what makes people uncomfortable. They read a lot of the wars in the Old Testament. They don't understand it. Israel's right response was to fight Amalek in faith, all under the banner of God. The result of which was Amalek's defeat and a curse from God to blot out his memory from under heaven. Because God is just. Amalek came in arrogance, just like the Egyptians were arrogant towards Israel. And so Israel fought. They fought in faith. All beneath the banner of God, Yahweh Nisi. Conversely, Jethro heard the word of Israel's redemption. And he did humble himself. He came seeking the truth. And in seeing the fullness of the glory of God, he worshiped with Israel. Israel's right response to him was to welcome him and to dine with him in celebration. And so as we wrap up, the Lord our God is doing a work of redemption throughout all the earth. Read the scriptures and it's so plain. He is doing this work. And it's for the glory of his name among all the peoples. We who now belong to God in Christ are simultaneously recipients of grace in this marvelous work and we're laborers within it. We're recipients, we're recipients of the work and now we labor in it because we've been commissioned to do so. We cannot predict, okay, we cannot predict how our friends, our neighbors, our community, or how the nations will respond. Some will respond to the good news of God's redemption like Amalek and others like Jethro. But we don't have to predict it. We don't have to. The resurrected Jesus Christ has received all authority from the Father. He has commissioned us for the task and he has promised that he will be with us always until the end of the ages, the end of the age. So this is what we need to take home. There are many Jethro's still out there who just need to hear about the glory of God and the good news of his redemption in Christ. May we live faithfully before God and declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples.
to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you please have your way among us as your people. May we see the cosmic picture of what you're doing and press into faithfulness in our daily tasks and in our duties as your people. You are doing a work for the glory of your name and for the good of your covenant people. And I pray, Father, that we would continue to be molded, shaped, and chiseled away by your Spirit through the Word and through our communion together with you and one another. We pray for those in our community who are like Jethro, who just need to hear. Would you appoint us to the tasks that you've called us to, and would we be faithful in all of them, that our community, our neighbors, this nation might hear the glory of your name and might worship rightly? Would we see men and women like Jethro come into our midst because they have humbled themselves before you in hearing the glory of your name and have joined themselves to the people of God. We pray for that. Lord, please encourage us in the work and show us the way. In your name I pray and ask these things. Amen.